1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of fight back from the week that was. Does the official lockdown, which started in Toronto and Peel region this past Monday, change life in the pandemic for Zoomers? It's already had some unintended consequences. The mob scenes we saw at some of the malls last weekend ahead of the lockdown, which ironically may have ended up being super spreader events. Libby spoke with the Zoomer squad about the lockdown as it got underway on Monday. David Kravitz is vice president of Zoomer Media and chief marketing officer at CARP. Bill Van Gorder is CARP's interim chief policy officer. And Peter Mugridge is senior editor at Zoomer magazine.
2: The big change seems to be you can't go uh, shop at a small business. To me, it, it just seems if the small store puts in place proper um, health restrictions and guides and spacing measures and masks, I'm I'm not sure why they can't open with a limited uh, flow of people. And uh, it just seems like they're using this blunt instrument to, uh, you know, cover everything, and and there's going to be a lot of uh, collateral damage with small businesses.
3: I would think you're almost more likely to get it at a big box place.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And why not just spread out the the people into smaller stores? You'd lower the concentration in in the one big store, you know. And and uh, but it, but it it's not. There's no kind of thought going that way. It's just use the biggest, strongest hammer and try to smash it, you know.
3: Bill Van Gorder, uh, we just heard that the Atlantic bubble has burst. And I know that uh, I was talking, I was Zooming with friends in Halifax over the weekend. And, uh, you know, things are locking down there, even though by our standards, this is a very small number of cases.
4: Well, yes, Libby, they certainly are. And although it seems like a small number of cases, three weeks ago, uh, we had no uh new cases being announced uh in Nova Scotia uh now we have 44 that have been announced in the last few days so the increase is alarming and what's more alarming is it appears to be coming from groups of people who are ignoring the rules uh and and the regulations so uh a lockdown uh, is, is here and the other provinces are looking at us and saying we don't like what's happening in Nova Scotia. You know, we can demand the government do more, but it all comes down to all of us following the basics of being caring, thoughtful citizens. Otherwise, our selfishness risks huge harm to others. And unfortunately, that's what we're seeing in Nova Scotia today.
3: OK, David, I, I think uh, you have a different view of this.
5: Well, I, I, I agree with Bill that as good citizens, we should follow the rules. I don't think I should, you know, go off the, off the beaten path onto my own. But the problem here is that they've not made an effective case for two things. Number one, as Peter pointed out, the inconsistency of the lockdown. Um, there's a there's a small store in my neighborhood. Happens to be a food store, so they're allowed to stay open. But ever since this thing first started. They were limited to 30 people at a time inside. We all line up outside. One guy leaves, there was another guy in. Why couldn't the same rules apply to any store with smaller uh, quantities allowed in, depending on the square footage? Second of all, I happened just by fluke, uh, Libby, to get a haircut last week. Uh, Before all this, I didn't know this was coming. I had to wear a mask. The haircut person wore a mask, and she wore gloves. She wiped everything down. If that was safe for me to do then, why is it suddenly unsafe for me to do starting today? There just doesn't appear to be any logical rhyme or reason to this. And they've not made that case. And I think they're going to continue to get more and more pushback um, because they've not shown that uh, it can stop uh, the spread. And in particular, that it can stop the spread in the most vulnerable Population. So essentially you're quarantining healthy people uh, where the incidence of uh, the mortality rate is negligible. And uh, I think there's going to be a big uh, backlash when we do the review of this afterwards. I think it's all optics, you know, looking strong, looking tough, but the science is uh, increasingly getting a little bit shaky, I'm afraid.
1: David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP, Bill Van Gorder, CARP's Interim Chief Policy Officer, and Peter Muggrich, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Brampton has become the hardest-hit area in the province for COVID-19 cases. Some neighborhoods have test-positivity rates four times the provincial rate. Mayor Patrick Brown has been making the point that Brampton is home to many essential services like food processing and manufacturing and many residents who work in healthcare. These are designated as essential services. So does a lockdown have any meaning, let alone any impact in Brampton? Libby had a frank conversation about this with Mayor Brown when he joined her on Monday.
6: Well, the two largest sectors in our city are food processing and transportation logistics, and they're considered essential workers. So, no, for the large proportion of workers in in Brampton, it's just another day. That's not to say um that the uh, painful emails and phone calls I'm getting from small businesses um aren't difficult to read. You know, we've got uh, a small business community, restaurants, retail stores that are just uh, being hit. Uh, it's, it's like an economic tidal wave. Uh, because the spring was already tough enough, and now it's going to be uh, another major blow. One thing I've articulated both to the Premier and the Prime Minister, that if they really want to help Brampton and Peel region, focus where the spread is. Our number one source of spread is in industrial settings. You know, in some cities, it was from restaurants and gyms. I don't have a single outbreak at a restaurant in, in Brampton. I've had 116 workplace outbreaks, and they are largely in industrial settings. And so what we could really use is two things one i need an isolation center in the northeast of brampton for people that can't safely isolate because they live in crowded living conditions and secondly i need sick benefits we have a lot of people factory workers who live paycheck to paycheck and they can't afford to miss a paycheck and so they're going into work with symptoms they're going into work to hiding that that they're sick because they have to put food on the table and pay their rent those are the two things that would the most significant in combating COVID-19 in Peel Region.
3: Is there anything other than that that would help you control things in Brampton, given that
6: people are going to work? There are some aspects of the new provincial restrictions that could be helpful. Um, I, I know from our medical officer health that we've had three outbreaks in uh, places of worship. Uh, those are now closed um, uh, under the restrictions. We've had challenges with uh, banquet halls. Uh, uh, you know, they got closed by our medical officer at Health a week ago. Um, so that, you know, there are some restrictions that, that are helpful where, where there's been transmission. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't want it lost on anyone um, that we're still not tackling the elephant in the room which is, in, which is industrial settings.
3: Bottom line, do you have, uh, or along with your health authorities, do you have a, a target to a decrease in Brampton as a result of this new lockdown?
6: You're not going to like the answer that I'm, I'm, I'm going to give. I, I think everyone is optimistic the numbers will fall dramatically during this 28-day period. Um, but I'm not convinced because the largest segment of our workforce essential workers transportation logistics food processing is exempt um and i just don't see how numbers are going to come down dramatically given the fact um we're not dealing with the elephant in the room
3: Mm -hmm. and what about the hospitals
6: um the hospitals are at capacity um having said that we were at capacity before the pandemic yeah brampton's been in code gridlock for five years
3: do you have hallway medicine back or are you uh keeping it at bay
6: no, we have hallway medicine, but we've had hallway medicine for years now. This is not something new to the pandemic. It, you know, the provincial average for hospital beds is 2.19 per 1,000 beds. In in Brampton, it's 0.96. We went into, into this pandemic with half the hospital beds that is the provincial average. And so, you know, this is a different issue, a different problem, but it speaks to the, the, the challenges when you don't have proper health care capacity. And that's why um, every, every government, from PCs to NDP to Liberals, um, have really failed at building out hospital infrastructure in Peel Region. Presumably,
3: there's more distancing in the hospitals now, and, and uh, some of the, uh, the rules have changed regarding how many people in which department.
6: Yes, uh, they, they've had to cancel non-elective surgeries, but we are, we are, the, the house is full. Uh, we're, we're at 100% capacity, and they are now sending patients to other hospitals.
1: Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown in conversation with Libby Zneimer on Monday. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, CARP's campaign to fire Ontario's long-term care minister attracts attention in the provincial legislature.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of fight back with Jane Brown on Zuma Radio. Welcome back.
1: The CARP campaign calling on Premier Doug Ford to fire long-term care minister Merrilee Fullerton is gathering momentum. It even received attention in the Ontario legislature this past week when NDP deputy leader Sarah Singh joined the call while quoting CARP's complaint that Minister Fullerton has failed to protect long-term care residents in the second wave of COVID-19. Libby spoke about the missteps and lack of action on the part of the Ford PCs to improve care in Ontario's nursing home when she was joined by our strategy panelists, John Capobianco, senior vice president and senior partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Bird, managing principal of Earnscliffe Strategy Group in Toronto, and filling in for Variety Village CEO Karen Stintz, Kim Wright, principal of Wright Strategies.
7: The entirety of what's happened in long-term care was tragically predictable. And this minister in particular, if rumors around Queen's Park are to be believed, she actually tried to uh, move on, on COVID in the early days and was shut down. All of that to be said. You have had situation after situation where long-term care facilities are overrun with COVID. There are staggering amounts of death. There are certain things that they could have done, you know, over the summer and even before this much ballyhood iron ring around long term care is nothing more than than rhetoric and a bumper sticker from the from the premier at this point they've actually done very little about to actually move forward on this there was talk early on that uh, minister fullerton uh, had tried to convince uh, her colleagues in cabinet to take this more seriously to take covid more seriously this government and this minister have had 6 8 months to figure it out, and they haven't, and it's a, it's, the blood is on their hands, frankly. Uh, Charles, uh, do you agree with that?
8: Well, first off, I think Kim's notion of predictability reminds me of my grandmother who predicted the bombing of Pearl Harbor two days after it happened. I mean, there's nothing predictable about anything that's taken place over the course of this pandemic. Um, you know, what's happened in long-term care homes is tragic, and it kind of came as some surprise to see late last week um the government announcing that contracts of new contracts for new long term care beds have been awarded to three homes where 151 people have died including Orchard Villa where where the military had to be called in to right the ship i mean that's that came as a as a genuine shock and in terms of the work CARP has been doing on its campaign, I think it, it's terrific. It's commendable. It's the kind of thing that advocacy organizations should be doing. I'm generally not a big fan of, you know, calling on ministers to resign willy-nilly. It smacks of partisan politics and, and so often is unjustified. In the case of Minister Fullerton, though, I mean, that there are... There are very, very serious concerns. I mean, when you get into the world of alternative facts where, oh, they have all the staff they need, they have all the PPE they need, when that just simply isn't the case, that, that's when you're getting into really a, a dangerous area.
3: John, with this long-term care minister during the pandemic, they were doing inspections by phone. I mean, uh, what do you make of all of this?
2: This government, like any other government, has tried to grapple and has been grappling with issues uh, from from the the minute this this infected our our country and has ever since been uh, been causing and wreaking havoc for uh, for not only seniors but for everybody else and I think that you know and, and again I've, I've mentioned this before Libby this gov- this premier this government has been trying to do the, what they can to balance everything they can with the with the information the advice they get from health authorities uh, as well as the small businesses because we know that the lockdown that happened in March through. To, uh, to, uh, summer, uh, you know, was we, we just can't repeat that. And it had affected so many businesses and, 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 yeah, you know what? Healthcare and, and people's lives are first and foremost. And that's something that the premier and his health team have been able to grapple with and have been dealing with, especially at long term care. Is there, is there a solution? Uh, for long-term care facilities will know it's a systemic problem that's happened for years they're trying to deal with it they're spending a lot of money and attention on it is it resolved now well no it's not and it's going to have to be resolved and they're going to try to get it resolved as much as they can i think the fact that they've you know are trying to address the, the vaccines and trying to put you know rick hillier in charge of that that was a good step to uh, to that but you know there's a lot of issues that still have to happen and, and have to get resolved And this government is trying to deal with it like everybody else at a time when no one really knows, you know, when we're going to be able to see the end of this.
1: John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto, and Strategist Kim Wright, filling in for Variety Village CEO Karen Stintz. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Also on Tuesday, we took a closer look at how the lockdowns are affecting small business and restaurant owners, and some of the anomalies that are making the rules hard to take for a lot of people. One of the big ones, notably big box stores, mostly American, may stay open and sell the kinds of things that shuttered small businesses. There was a call from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business to amend the lockdown rules. Libby checked in with Ryan Malo of the CFIB, along with two small business owners, Donna Dewar, co-owner of Mildred's Temple Kitchen here in Liberty Village, and Madeline Amson, manager of Bang Hair Salon on the Danforth.
9: We're actually going to operate very similarly to the first time that we went into lockdown. So, you know, of course, our bread and butter is being behind the chair and actually, you know having clients in, but we're switching to a retail-based approach. So what we have set up is we are going to be selling our full line of retail products. We have color kits as well as hair treatments. We do also have a link on our website to purchase gift certificates for future services. Uh, so we're just switching there. We're going to have everything set up for uh, contactless pickup or delivery.
3: Let's go to Donna. You've been uh, limited to takeout and delivery for how long now, and how's it going?
10: Well, Libby, we've been—I'm not sure what lockdown we're in now, but indoor dining. Uh, this is the third go-around for indoor dining, and um, I—you I, know—I don't know what to say. <laughs> kind of speechless. What we've discovered with our clients and particularly our base in Liberty Village, is how people have been very supportive of our small businesses and are pivoting to doing their shopping through our, uh, our online store and our pantry. So, you know, I'm, I've got my faith in humanity out there that people will do the right thing and support the small businesses.
3: Ryan Malo, what are you proposing as, as changes to the rules? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so
11: first of all, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that, that small business support is out there. We know we've seen it in poll numbers, but it's very good to hear that uh, we're seeing it on the ground. For, for us, one of the, the biggest frustrations coming out of this from our members is on the retail side, and that's really because of the time of year it is. I mean, this is the, the holiday shopping season. It is usually the busiest and best time of year for retailers, and this year more so than others. Really is make or break for them. They need a strong November, December. Uh, otherwise, odds are with the traditionally lean January, February, March, they're going to get shut down and they're not going to come back. That's going to be permanent.
3: You've with their, estimated 160,000 permanent business closures across the country?
11: That's what we're looking
3: at potentially, and that was before
11: these lockdown measures came in. I expect that number is a little bit higher right now. We're looking at about 14% of all small businesses in Canada being at risk, wow. um, and that's sort of the medium number. So we're, we're looking to the government to uh, adopt a, a made-in-Ontario COVID-19 retail policy to allow some in-store shopping during the holiday season. I mean, we we cannot wrap our heads around the idea that your local independent bookstore has been told it is not safe to buy a book here, you need to be shut down, but you can purchase the same book in a Walmart with 300 other people. That just doesn't make sense to us. So we're looking to the government to, again, we understand the need for health restrictions, but to allow some capacity in for some in-store shoppers uh, to help give those businesses a fighting
9: chance during the holiday season. Madeline? All we can do is try. You know, if all, all of the listeners, you know, uh, did did their part and, and spoke up and tried to advocate for change, you know, we can only hope that something can come of it. Uh, I just want to echo the sentiment of support small, support local. I believe that uh, people are really becoming aware of the importance of where they spend their money. And, uh, we'll, we'll be able to see what comes of that and hopefully as many small, small businesses as possible, make
10: it out of this a second time. Donna. Yes. I, I, I have the exact same sentiment and, um, you know, I wish everybody the best of the holiday season. And I would just say one thing to our political, uh, uh, People, if you are, are going to open us up before the holidays, uh, which I, I suspect may be unlikely, I, I think that this has to be a very measured approach to how we start to open up businesses again. And a lot of thought needs to go into that.
3: Yeah, you would hope so. And Ryan. Yep, yeah, absolutely
11: agree. And I would say if you've got the time to write your MPP or the premier, absolutely do it. But please, if you are able, spend your holiday dollars locally. One of the best things you can do. Is spend at a local business. If you can't, tell everyone about your favorites and ask them to do the same.
1: Ryan Malo of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, Donna Dewar, co owner of Mildred's Temple Kitchen here in Liberty Village, and Madeline Amson, manager of Bang Hair Salon on the Danforth. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's best of fight back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight
1: Back with Libby's Nimer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Jilly from Hamilton phoned about the COVID-19 restrictions and how they affect her workplace. I am
9: a retail worker in a big box store. I can tell you, you know, as an employee that there is no control. Even if you have 150 people in a big box retail store, there isn't control. You can't. Why? Staff shortage. Staff shortages. You know, we have staff that are burnt out. I'm frustrated by the whole situation for these small businesses. I really don't think it's fair. It's very frustrating. And as a retail worker in corporate, it is very heartbreaking to see we have two to 3,000 people come through our door every day. Wow. Every day. When you see that many people coming through your store, as a worker, you can't social distance. It's almost impossible, I can tell you, as a worker. To wipe down my station, every customer, we would be backed up for miles.
1: Pat in Toronto phoned to say clear communication is necessary in order for this lockdown to be successful.
4: We as the public should not be second-guessing. Uh, the government with all their experts. I would comment, though, that the government needs to do a better public relations job on putting out the rationale for the various decisions that are made. Um, and of course, we're also influenced by the nonsense that is going on south of the border about, you know, I have my own right to, to die in the way I want, but uh, uh, PR is not being
0: done properly by the government. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Steve in Brampton, who phoned to say he agrees that pet grooming is considered essential during the lockdown.
12: I have a 12-year-old, a little more than 12-year-old dog now. We're we're the same age, I like to say, and he (laughs) has a number of health issues. I have him booked into the groomer every three weeks for a special shampoo and a special skin treatment because he also has a lot of skin issues this dog's cost me a fortune this year so he's he's booked in like forever it's an ongoing thing so when Doug Ford announced the closures last Friday I phoned the groomer Friday night and I said are you open or not and she said we don't know we don't know I can squeeze him in at noon today but I don't know when you'll get him back so I took him in had him done picked him up at eight o'clock that night Uh, I actually had to forego a date with a woman to take the dog in and uh, then she told me when I Aren't picked up. Aren't you supposed up, to stay at home? <laughs> Pardon me? No,
3: you, you've got, <laughs> I'm, I live alone. i okay. go out of my bubble. Steve, Steve, cut to the chase.
12: Okay, the chase is the dog requires this kind of uh, care from the groomer. And for me, it's a, it's a big deal to get the, the, the shampoo, the skin treatment, all the things, because he has issues that require, and the groomer does it, not the vet.
1: That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at FightbackLibby and have your say anytime on our Fight Back voicemail at 416 367 9636 416 three six seven nine six three six i'm jane brown join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of fight back
0: the best of fight back is produced by jane brown justin Eacock, and Zee hattie with technical production by kelly robotham executive producer moses nimer